it's all about me. And it can be all about you too. Whoa there, Stanley Snake Up. You seem to be getting a little riled. Let's not get too out of hand. We haven't introduced ourselves yet. Thanks for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, and I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And I'm Stanley Stinkup, your friendly skunk, ready to sell you a new idea to grow your church. Let's not get too excited there. All of your past ideas have turned out to be old lies. Well, that's all behind us now. Today is a new day, and it's time for a new idea. L let me go find you one. Okay, Stanley. Oh, oh, here it is. Yes, yes, there we go. All right, all right, Pastor Mike. Here is a coin for you to purchase oh. an idea with. And oh. I have a new idea for you and all those watching. Are you ready to grow your church? Well, this is an interesting coin. It has a waterfall on one side, and on the other side, it has a mirror. Hmm, what sort of idea could be bought with this? Uh, mirror, they seem to be unrelated. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? <gasps> it's me. That's a little self-centered, Stanley, don't you think? Well, it can be all about you, too. All you have to do is buy my wondrous new idea. Just put the coin in the bank. Hmm, all right, here it goes. All right, here's your new idea. Jesus came to be exactly like you. And that's it. Oh, Stanley, Jesus came to be exactly like us and that's it? Oh, we're gonna have to go to the studio and discuss this. Okay. Thank you for joining us. We're back in the studio and we're having a great time here. Um, I guess we're live. Time to do this show. Today we're going to be talking about this lie that is out there that Jesus came to be exactly like you and that's it. End of story. This is really the conversation about Jesus being just human, not being fully God, not being divine, not being fully God and fully human, but just a really bad heresy. Now, I will say this on the front end of our conversation today, a quick disclaimer. We're going to sound like heretics if you take any of this out of context because we're talking about some really dark, twisted heresies. So please do not take any of this out of context. We're here to talk about the heresies, and in order to do that, you kind of got to, well, discuss them a little bit. And today, we are going to be really talking about this lie that Jesus came to be exactly like you. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Lagos here in our nice studio with its wood accoutrements. And I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow, and I've got a little piece of history we're going to explore later, and it may be more than it seems. Yeah, it looks like a crucifix. It's kind of fascinating there. I'm Pastor Anthony Alegria. And I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. All right. Now, after we can get past all the oddities and awkwardness of doing an introduction, let's get to our program today. Now, this is part of our series, The Seven Deadly Lies in the Church, where we look at things that are coming inside the church to well, destroy us, and that's not a good thing at all. And before we go any further, let's open up in prayer. So I'm going to ask Pastor Anthony to pray for us as we begin. I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts here in the studio and in the audience and the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. And again, this show is put out live every Friday. And you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook. And please do check out our YouTube channel. We really are trying to grow that. It's a very different format than Facebook, different audience. But it is a good place for people to go and find the video. So grab a link to our YouTube and share it with your friends. Today, we're going to open up with a game. And this is one for everyone here in the studio. I'm going to let those in the studio respond to this. And also, those of you out in the audience, I want you to listen to the words I'm about to say. And I want you to try to decide if they are true or if they are a lie. So this is one of those moments where you've got to kind of listen real carefully with your ears, listen to all of the particular words that are there. And we're going to determine if these two propositions are lies or not. Now we are going to get into some history and stuff, but first let's do this. So is everyone ready? We ready here in the studio? Yep. I'm ready. All right, getting some affirmative looks. More <laughs> awkward talking, but let's get to this. So here is the first proposition. If the father begat the son, he that was begotten had a beginning of existence. And from this, it is evident that there was a time when the son was not. It therefore necessarily follows that he had his substance from nothing. 
Okay, so what you just heard was a logical argument that said if the father begat the son, then there had to be a time when the son did not exist. And they're building this argument. So, Pastor Amanda, you've heard this. Does that sound reasonable? There is a, a logic to it. Um, kind of the, the person who's articulating the statement does kind of set up some rules and then s takes them to their logical conclusion. Another, now, whether or not the rules he starts from are good, or, <laughs> we'll, we'll, I guess we'll discuss further on. But um, Well, while you're there, yeah. are these rules good or bad? Well, I would say these, these rules are bad. They're a lie. And we have this language of begotten in our scriptures, you know, for God to love the world, that he gave his one and only begotten son. So that when you first hear that, you're like, oh, it must be true. It sounds like something that really a word we only use in the context of the church and scripture. But then as you read a little further on, yeah, that like there was a time when the son was not, that the son has a different substance or really has a substance out of nothing. So it really makes this idea that the son is just another piece of the created order. Um, that that are really really uh, heretical heresy. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. this is bad, bad, <laughs> bad. Let's get to proposition number two. Proposition two reads as follows: If God and Christ were equal, then He should be called His brother and not His son. And since we have in this room actually a father and son, I'm going to defer to my father, Pastor Mike. Does this sound reasonable to you, this whole argument that if God and Christ are equal, then why do you use the language of God the Father and God the Son? Shouldn't it be the language of brothers rather than father and son? Thoughts on this? Well, you know, the, it, this is, sounds reasonable, but the fallacy in this is it disregards how God relates to us in, in Scripture and reveals himself. So it goes beyond just saying what God has revealed to us, but it goes on to say that possibly it puts itself above Scripture. Yeah, there's, thing. there's an element to this that is arrogant. Very it says, arrogant. I know better than God knows and better than God has revealed over the course of human history. There's a little bit of arrogance there, and in case anyone at home was needing that resolution, both of these are lies, both of these are bad, <laughs> um, not good. Pastor Mike, final thoughts before we get into our, our history. Well, and you know, anytime we have discussion and trying to describe God, we're trying to describe an infinite God with finite words. And so it's 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 not that the discussion is it may sound reasonable, but there should be a good foundation to start with. Yeah. And what we're gonna get into now is a bit of an interesting piece of history. Now do bear with us because I hope that by the end of this program you realize how important this conversation that we're talking about is to you. You may think that this is something which isn't super relevant in your life, but I hope by the end of this, if you stick around with us, you'll find that it really, really is. Because if this lie that Stanley Stankup told us is true, that Jesus just came to be exactly like you and that's it, nothing more, then you have been bamboozled by everything that you could ever think of in life. Everything you know, life itself is just fraud. Everything's a sham. But let's get to a, a story real quick. Let's look at history. So we're going to go all the way back to the year 256. So the year 256 AD, Anno Domini, after Jesus is born of Mary, there was a man who was born in Libya who would change the world. Now, he was not going to do something new, per se. He's not going to come and claim that he's the new Messiah or anything like that. But he was going to bring the church into a new era. And he did bring the church into a new era. Now, this man's name was Arius. And he, like many of us, he wanted some resolution regarding his theological questions. And he started off life, really, in a place where we often are, where we're perplexed by the mystery of the Trinity. And we ask questions like, how could three be one? Now, Arius, he had an inquisitive heart, and he decided that he was going to go on a journey to answer this question of how the three could be one. And now he comes in a really exciting time in history. I mean, we're in an exciting time now. There's always an exciting time when you're, you're living. There's always interesting things going on. Culture has all this stuff going on. Well, Arius lives in a time where Christianity is now legalized. The Emperor Constantine, he wants to unify the Christians in the Roman Empire. He wants to make sure they're all generally believing the same thing. He wants to use Christianity as a tool to shape Roman culture. And this guy, Arius, he's a priest in the middle of this time, and he has a really good reputation. He's known for having solid convictions. He's known for having personal discipline. He really looks like an upstanding man of the gospel. He'd even participated in the ascetic elements of Christianity, which means he was something of a monk from time to time. He was somebody who was well-disciplined. He was very dedicated. He had vows and things that he would take, and he was known for holding those well. 
But the thing is, though we can paint Arius in a really good light, not all was good and well. For you see, Arius had this desire to fully know the nature of God, or at least to explain some things which are inexplicable. He thought he could give an explanation for the Trinity and the nature of Christ. And in doing so, he reasoned himself to the conclusion that Jesus might be something lesser than God. And eventually he convinced himself that Jesus must be something lesser than God the Father. And he got to this point where he realized that perhaps Jesus was not God in the same way that God the Father was God. Now those lines we read earlier, they are some of Arius' teachings. And I'll recap them for you again. Arius said that if the Father begat the Son, he that was begotten had to have a beginning of existence. And from this it's evident that there was a time when the Son was not. And therefore it necessarily follows that he had his substance from nothing. That's one of Arius' arguments that, well, if the, the son's begotten, that means there's a time when he's not begotten, and that means that there's a time when he doesn't exist. Um, bad stuff. He's trying to explain things which God has revealed to us differently, and also we're, we, we can't explain. And when we get to the next uh, argument that he has, he says, if God and Christ were equal, he should be called his brother, not his son. Again, another bad thing coming from Arius. Now, the church back so many hundreds of years ago, they realized they had to do something about this. So in the year 325, the church held together a council. They invited leaders from all over the place to come together, and they were all coming together for a purpose to do something about Arius. They had to do something about this man and his heresy. Now, most Christians, they realized that Arius was spreading terribly wicked ideas. You could reason your way there, but only if you started with bad premises and you started explaining things which you are not able to explain. And most Christians realized we had to do something about Arius, and even St. Nicholas was amongst them, the, the same guy that we associate with Santa Claus, or we think of him as Santa Claus. Well, the historical real St. Nicholas was there at this council, and of course, good old St. Nick is historically known for, well, punching Arius in the face, and I think we've actually got some footage of that. Um, I know we've got a nice little gif for you. And I, I, I think I stand correct. I actually think that's the Pope um, <laughs> slapping a, a lady who's reaching for him. I'm sorry. I thought we had a, a, a gif of... Um, a gif of St. Nicholas. Yes, a, a gif. So not Amanda's quite a, the uh, good old St. Nicholas slap, the bishop slap. But we one-upped him and pope slap. brought the Pope slap. Yeah, this is Pope slapping is a is a thing, and um, <laughs> Arius used to get slapped by saints by Santa Claus. Um, yes. So, anyways, back to the story of Arius. The church realized they had to do something about this. Santa Claus comes in there and. As we can quote St. Nicholas on that. It's, it's great. It translates through languages really well, that one. Like you don't need a translator from Latin or anything to modern English. Just works great. Um, that was St. Nicholas's message to this, though he ended up being taken to jail over this poor old St. Nick. And the council at the time, they realized we've got to do something about Arius. This is not good. And if you stick with us, we'll really dig into why this is so bad. The council, they did well. They they got together in their assembly and they decided that, yes, this is bad. Christ is fully God and fully man. And Arius and his detractors that are detracting from the church, they're all bad. And in the end, Arius and two others went along with this idea that Jesus isn't fully God. And they all get banished. Um, they get banished. Oh, yeah. The church that does not excommunicate is not the church. We hope and pray that people will turn their hearts. But there is a time where... Um, well, we may have to call in Pope Francis <laughs> to, to say what it's time for. But the truth is, the council did act wisely in establishing elements of Christian orthodoxy. So, a couple of questions real quick. Pastor Amanda, mm -hmm. on the question of St. Nicholas, your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think, one, it's really interesting, and, and I love the fact that Nicholas's, uh, St. Nicholas's response to Arius is to slap him. Because this shows that this was not a small matter of the church. Uh, this was not kind of like debating what color the carpet should be or if you should sing after uh, out of hymnals or on after uh, off of a projector screen. This is serious theology. And the theology of the church is at question. And Nicholas realized this and re realizes that a strong response is necessary. 
Uh, however, like Pastor Dylan said, Nicholas is arrested and spends a night. Uh, I think some tradition says a night. I think another one says maybe even a month. Uh or a fortnight, which I guess is really two weeks. I'm trying to remember. Sorry. But uh, in prison, because the other bishops are like, listen, Nicholas, you're right. Arius is a heretic, but you're a bishop and you have to act like it. And so they take away his bishop robes. They throw him in prison. He repents. And again, another tradition says that uh, an angel gave him back his bishop robes. <laughs> and so when they came to kind of unlock his cell, there's St. Nicholas and his bishop robes ready to repent. And again, not repent of his stance. All right, the church needed to be orthodox and needed to be sure on that orthodox, but repentive of the fact that he, he uh, I guess, was uh, tempted into uh, physical violence when it was not necessary. Yeah, well, conduct you know, unbecoming of a bishop. Yeah, yeah. This, this takes us to an interesting place, though, because if an angel did bring back St. Nicholas's robes and thought he was deserving of them, what did the angels think when they were watching the Pope slap this lady? What is is St. Michael and Gabriel thinking when they're watching that? It's like their version of the Super Bowl or like a WWE fight. They're like, woohoo! Anthony, you got that clip for people to see one more time. I already made sure they got to Oh, Oh, yes, yes. One must see the Pope slapping. That face afterwards. You you know, that's that's another episode, I think, that maybe we can dig deeper into that, find out what happens. Uh, Maybe an episode of clergy. Maybe the Pope needs... The Pope version. Oh, my. All right. So back to serious conversation. Um, Pastor Mike. Yes. When Ariat comes, Arius comes along, not the boots, Ariat, um, Arius, the heretic. Um, when he comes along and makes this claim, he says, if God and Christ were equal, then he should be called his brother and not his son. And he makes this other argument. You know, if God begot the son, then he was begotten at some point in time. And there must be a time when he doesn't exist. You know, what? What commonality do we actually see between these two arguments? Because if you don't have a good starting point, you really can find yourself going astray with these things. Well, first of all, I think there, there's a bad foundation. And we mentioned, you know, starting with um, our biblical text as being one of the found, key foundations where we start. So there, we know there are th- certain words that we use, uh, theological words such as, Trinity um, is is one, and of course we don't see that anywhere in our scriptures. But the foundation for that word is there, and so it's almost like it's a shorthand of saying Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are those can be found there. So what we can't find though is is this this brother and all of these things that he's trying to say. That in fact I, I think we can find you know more um, a better foundation that states that that they that the father and the son are the best way to to relate that and so another thing is we are finite human beings and god is infinite and arius is trying to explain what is really inexplicable Uh, and and there's some type of beauty in in knowing that god is so much superior in us yeah. Um, and and then of course you know I think if you go all the way back this is just another version of the tempter saying you know did God really say this um, so Arius is you know he he's a bad bad person yeah it, it really is an bad thought let me restate you brought it. up that with the tempter the whole idea in the garden did God mm-hmm. really say that in the book of Job is Job really good I mean he's even tempting there to God you find the diabolical and out in the wilderness trying to tempt Jesus yeah um, good points there. Um, Pastor Anthony, is it easy to fumble the ball here? And again, using a football reference, I know the Super Bowl just came. Is it easy to make a mistake with this logic? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think one of the easiest mistakes to make is, and this happens all the time in theology, constantly. I, I think it happens more frequently whenever people talk about God than anything else. But... We forget where words were attached to something that actually happened or something that actually is, and we start attributing extra definitions and other things to the word, and then we move on logically as though there was never an actual thing that we were speaking on before, and we get ourselves into all sorts of hairy messes. Yeah. Um, like, for instance, there's the false paradox that's very common where people say, um, <clears throat> if God can do anything— can he create a, a wall that he can't, or a rock that he cannot move? And so it's like, okay, logically, maybe you use the definitions of can and think, okay, well, if he can do anything, then could he make a rock that he could not move? 
and that's like a paradox supposed to be but the thing is we're talking about a god whose can is synonymous with his will and so the thing is if god wanted to move a walk a rock if god wanted to create a rock that he did not want to move he could you know because we're talking about a god whose can is the same as his will that's the only limitation we in our own context are limited by all sorts of things with our can our circumstances our abilities whatever else god's only dictation for his can is his will so it's not really a paradox it's an issue of language um and very frequently this happens whenever we're talking about god i think there's all sorts of other issues that can take place too but i think that's the most common all right so you might be asking yourself why does this matter to me this all sounds like something big over the top theology why is this so relevant to you but the truth is is this does matter a lot what we are talking about today is one of the most deadly and vile lies that has ever creeped along the face of this creation. It's a very powerful lie, and it matters to all of us. Because the truth is, if Jesus is not fully God, then we've all been bamboozled. Like, totally bamboozled. Like, you know, you go home and your dog, he thinks he's getting a treat from you because you walked in with a Walmart sack, and he looks inside there, and it's just like a box of tissue paper, and he looks up at you and like, I don't want that. Like, where's the toy? Where's the treat? <laughs> how like, dare you? How dare you? Like, we have been totally bamboozled if this lie were true and this whole line and again what we're talking about today is the lie that jesus came to be exactly like you nothing more it is so dubious that it really does negate such so much of our entire lives it negates so much of of history because really what we have to look at it and realize is the New Testament is, this is actually such a powerful lie that the New Testament is structured in a manner to deliberately defeat this lie because it was prevalent in the time of the early church, not just Arius there in the, the year uh, 200s and 300s. The lie that Jesus came to be exactly like you, it is one that brings so much wrecking to the world because it implies that there's no salvation, there's no transformation, there's no meaning to anything. This lie that Jesus came to be exactly like you is deadly because it ends up teaching that Jesus is not really divine, that he's not really God. And the heart of this lie, that Jesus has to become exactly like you and nothing more, it means that there's no objective truth of Jesus. Because if he's exactly like me, then he's not exactly like Pastor Amanda or Pastor Mike or Pastor Anthony because he can't be like all of us at once because we are not exactly the same. The truth is Jesus does come and take on human form to walk around us, with us, but there is so much more to the gospel that he's also fully divine. And whenever you find a lot of these heresies, they take something that's an element of truth, like Jesus did come and walk amongst us, but then they kind of cut something short. A lot of these heresies, they begin by taking a truth of the gospel and cutting it off from everything else. And this is so important, and all of us should be really concerned with this because it is something which is still prevalent today. And this all comes to the, to the moment where we realize when we look in the world around us, people are either moving towards God or they're doing things in spite of God. And we as people, we are not capable of being God. But this whole lie really is a desire deep within the human heart to be God. And we think Jesus must, if he's exactly like me, well then suddenly I become God. But we're not capable. The human condition is not capable of bringing salvation. It's not capable of transforming souls. And we know this to be true. And if you have ever lived and been conscious of your living even a little bit, you realize that you're going to deal with people that are frustrating to you. You realize you're going to make mistakes. You realize you're going to have good intentions and make mistakes. You're going to try to help people, but it doesn't work out. We as humans, we're not able to save. We're not able to transform souls in the way that God can. Jesus actually has to be all-powerful and all-seeing if he is going to save us and transform us and if he is going to be the just God that judges the living and the dead. If there's ever to be any real meaning, then Jesus does have to be fully God. And again, this is a very deadly lie. And it's one that is still with us today. It appears in different forms. And oftentimes the people who perpetuate this don't even realize the long ramifications because on the front end, it does seem like just one of those, you know, the eggheads over there in their ivory tower are talking about this. But this is one of those lies that it does come. And when it starts walking amongst people, it wrecks them. It takes their hope away from them because it tells them Jesus isn't really God, which means he can't save you. He can't transform you. And it is such a vile thing. We have to realize that Christianity is built on objective truth. The word of God became flesh. And that happened in Jesus Christ.
And Christ Jesus, he walked amongst us to suffer and die on a cross. He was then placed in a tomb, and on the third day he rose again. That's not a subjective truth. That's different for you or for me. If that is not objectively true, that the word of gosh became the word of God became flesh, walked amongst us, suffered, died on a cross, was placed in a tomb, and rose again on the third day. If that is not objectively true, then nothing matters. Christianity does not work as a philosophy or something that's nice for a few people to have to better their life. Christianity is built on an objective truth. In another big lie that's in our world that's a subset of this lie is that Christianity is opposed to science, reason, and objectivity. We forget that God is the author of these things. Rene Descartes, or Rene Descartes, if I can get his name out there, he is the one who's known for founding the scientific message, Descartes, and, well, he also wrote numerous theological works. He was not at this, one of these people that, you know, we've retconned history to say that they're all atheists rebelling against God. No, they're usually Protestants rebelling against the Catholics or Catholics rebelling against the Protestants is actually <laughs> the honest version of that. You're not generally called a heretic because you're not making a profession of faith. You're usually called a heretic because you're in the wrong tribe. Now, that's still bad, but we have retconned history to say that science is founded against Christianity when that's not true. You look at something like the Big Bang Theory and... Georges Lemaitre, who was the priest who started the Big Bang Theory, again, all these things, they originated actually inside the church. This whole lie that Christianity is against reason and objectivity, it stems from the spiritual warfare in our world, and it stems from this big lie that Jesus Christ is not fully God. He is not actually the Word of God bringing order to the world around us, and it is a deadly, deadly lie. So today, as we are examining this, I want us to really realize how important it is, and it does matter to you because you've been bamboozled by everything. The New Testament no longer matters. Nothing matters anymore if this lie is true. So to some questions on this, um, Pastor Amanda, why is it so deadly that people would hold this lie? Well, I think you've kind of hinted on a lot of it already, but it, it is that... Uh, you know, if, if Jesus came to be exactly like me, there, there's this human need to be accepted, to be loved. And often we feel that acceptance can only take place if people agree with us 100%. So we try to make everyone else out to be like us. And then when we find when we do that, uh, expect, you know, it, when we try to make, whether it's our leaders or our heroes on TV or the things we like exactly to fit our box, then we never grow. We never become more than that which we are already are. We don't expand our horizons. We aren't educated. And so we need that push to be more than that what we are. And so I think on that end, that's why this is deadly. It's also deadly because it does. It cuts short exactly why Christ came to us. He came, you know, the, the infinite God did become finite, was a baby that was born. And so in that sense had a beginning, but also definitely existed long before then, won't be a heretic, um, and experienced death, which means God died and kind of had an end, but also was resurrected and therefore will continue on long afterwards. Again, don't get the pitchforks out just yet. Um, but we see that he, this was done not just because God was bored one day. It was like, huh, let's experience human life for a little bit. Um, or I can become like a nice role model for some people because they can look at me and see themselves in me. That's not why God did that. God put on flesh and walked amongst us so that we could have a hope to be better and not just better people, but to be healed and whole and, and, and complete and happy. And so, yeah, so this, why should we care? Because this is like Paul said, if Jesus really wasn't resurrected, we should be pitied most amongst all men. You know, if anything that's part of the essentials of the gospel isn't true, then what are we doing? Like, is this just another good social club? Is there really salvation, hope, peace, love, joy? Like, are these just words we say? So, so yeah, so it is. This is like when we start talking about homoousia versus homoousia and everyone's like falling asleep in class, what are we talking about? We're talking about the very salvation and hope of our souls. Yeah, and... It is just another social club if Jesus is not fully God. And it's also a social club that's been lying to itself. So it's it's, it's worse. a really bad it's social really club. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. Like it's a cult. Yeah, it, it's Run. it's not yeah, it's a cult that's been purposeful with, with no person at all, you know, rejecting desires and the sinful pleasures that we, we want. We've built all these structures around that when we should have just been having a big hedonistic party all along if Jesus is not 
faithfully God. And that's that really is a, a very sad thing. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this. Why is this so deadly? Well, to say that God is fully human and not fully God, well, it diminishes the, the value of the sacrifice in, in the atonement. Um, and so it leads to the question, are we good enough to die for ourselves? And mm. though we have the substitution theory of atonement where God died for us, yes, Jesus died for us. And I did say God died for us, but this is the difference. Everything that Jesus did in his human nature, he did in the God nature. Both natures did this. God died on the cross. But what is different is God has redefined death as we know it. Death is no longer the end, that there is a a resurrection, that life continues. And, And so the beautiful thing is if you if you believe in the two natures of Christ, then we have a beautiful atonement. If you don't, then your atonement loses so much value. Yeah. Or the sacrifice of Jesus does. Right. Pastor Anthony, is salvation possible by mortals? Uh, I will keep this simple and start reading from Matthew 19.25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible. But for God, all things are possible. Amen. And so, um, in regards to your question and the question of the disciples, you know, salvation unto what? Um, what is it that we are being saved to? I don't think the disciples would have ever questioned Jesus about this if it was, you know, then who can be saved from a broken bone? Because there's plenty of doctors and things of that nature who can help mend your broken bones and set your bones right so that they can heal properly and you won't be running around like a gimp the rest of your life. So maybe that's a form of salvation. But this is not salvation from a broken bone. This is salvation from the fallenness of the world and from the sinfulness of our own natures and from the deserved consequences for that, which is total separation from God, hell. You know, the place of weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And this is salvation into God's kingdom, which is abundant life. Yeah, and to that point, that is a really good Bible verse that just sums up why this is. I mean, there's other. We're going to get to the Johannine <laughs> literature. Don't worry. Like the whole gospel of John yeah. and the epistles of John. John, the apostle, dealt with a lot of people who bought into versions of this heresy. So the whole gospel of John is structured in a way to combat this specific thing while also fleshing out the gospel. But what we find there is a good scripture. You know, who can be saved? Well, through mortals, none. None. Um, So there you can have your little Pope slap and then (laughs) slip them there with Matthew 19, uh, 25 after that. So a few other thoughts real quick as we're progressing through this. Pastor Amanda, um, was Arius really the first person to have a lot of success with this idea or were there others doing this before him? I know so many people think about Arius when they think of this idea that Jesus isn't divine, but are there other names or anything else we know of before then? Well, as you mentioned, uh, John writes, and he actually kind of writes in response to a group that kind of had the opposite problem. They thought that Jesus wasn't really human. He only appeared human or kind of looked human, or maybe his humanness was like a shell. Um, And so John writes this gospel to to explain who really is Jesus, that he is fully God and fully human. So if I can, this is kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, it's, it's like the two natures are at war. Within the, within the person of Jesus trying to find on who's going to win, the God side or the human side. And you also have the her- heretics, the Ebonites, the Ebonites, um, and they believe that Jesus was just kind of a normal human being until a p- certain point. Maybe he was elected at his birth or um, with Mary and Joseph. Others say maybe it was at the Transfiguration. Some say it wasn't even until like on the cross. But at some, at some point, the normal human Jesus, God was like, ah, you, you're my son now. Um, which is a heresy, again, because we have John writing in the beginning. And I know we're going to get to that in a little bit. So we have this trend, and it's also fascinating with church history, especially early church history. We try to scrunch together, and we forget. John's gospel was written probably around the 90s, maybe as late as 100, probably not. But, I mean, it, that's, like, really late. And even with that late date, you then have, like, 200 years until you get to Arius's heresy and the Council of Nicaea. And so you have 200 years. Just think about what's happened in the last 200 years of 
you know, currently in our, not lifetimes, but if we can think back that far, how much has changed and people have grown. And yet John's gospel becomes a very important part of Christian literature. And for him to like 200 years later, this is, it's not newly accepted. Like you might give the Gnostics a little bit of grace because you're like, hey, you're new to this. You don't really know what's going on. John just wrote his gospel. You maybe haven't read it yet, but 200 (laughs) years later, and we're still fighting this battle. And so, yes, there was lots of people who came up with this heresy. They may rebranded it a little bit, but the the gist of it was the same. So so now we have a, a nice scale. We have the write a letter, which will become part of the New Testament response to people or Pope's lap. <laughs> um, which this heresy has gotten both, yes. actually, mm-hmm. uh, across time. And everything time. in between. And everything in between. So for 200 years, and again, if you haven't seen the movie Rise of Skywalker, it's a great scene. The emperor returns and says, I've died before. There with his corpse-like body. Evil really does work like this. It, it's not easy. You can't just go in and and eradicate it by, by just killing those involved because it will come back again. This is a heresy. It's an evil that has come up time and time again, and it robs people of hope. Um, and there we find in the Johannine literature, um, deliberate writings, everything from the beginning of the Gospel of John, the references to the Antichrist that you find in the epistles. And I know I've referenced this several times, that in the New Testament we find these structures specifically around defeating this. Um, and, of course, they, they teach us many things. Now, I mean, it's it's obviously a transcendent writing, hence it's not just limited to that. But it was put there largely in response to this stuff. Pastor Mike, where can we actually find some scriptures in this? I don't just want to throw it out there without giving some, some good citations. Well, absolutely. I think, obviously, you go to the introduction or the prologue, as it's called, of John. And, and you know, John 1, 1 it just starts out, in the beginning was the Word, or the Logos, that's uh, in the Greek, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And this is uh, talking directly about Jesus being in the very beginning. And then if you go on to uh, uh, what we have, John's first letter uh, in 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 the in our Bible, in our scriptures, First uh, John chapter 2, 22 says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Christ is uh, that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And this literally is a time where there are people who would say that the Father and the Son they aren't the same substance. They would they would deny this. And this, this heresy is a version. Our scriptures have told us that this is a real problem. But I know we've got another one there in the first epistle as well. Yeah, in that same letter in, in uh, chapter 4 and 3, it says, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. And so, you know, with that being said, we still have that heresy happening today. It happened, you know, shortly thereafter when people were coming to Christ inside the church. Uh, but it's it's happening today. And the, and the problem is if, when Dylan's got up the mirror there, uh, yep. and we, we should be looking in the mirror and reflecting Christ rather than Christ reflecting us. Mm. The difference is that it does away with transformation. The problem with Arianism, it wants to transfer Christ to be like us, but the truth is we are called to be transformed into Christ-likeness. Yeah, so to this point, with the the coins of here, because it does seem unrelated at first, but I hope we'll make some sense of this. So the first side of the coin is a mirror. And now this side, it focuses on the self and others. Now the slogan of this side of this coin is that Jesus came to touch the untouchables. And like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Not that he came to touch people and then move them out of their situations and bring them back to being reconciled as the children of God that they were originally designed to be, but just the idea that Jesus, he came, he touched the untouchables. If we go out and we hold our arms out and we run up and down the streets and touch people, they're saved. No, no. Now, it's totally true. Jesus did touch people in society that were regarded as untouchable by others. And it's absolutely true that he stood with people that were deemed repugnant by others. But this alone do not provide salvation because we can do that. You know, I can go out and I can, I can turn on Dr. Pimple Popper or whatever. And I can, um, y'all looking at me like, y'all don't know what Dr. Pimple Popper is. No, we've never heard of Uh, it. Anyways, um, nasty stuff, nasty stuff on, on television. Um, you can, 
you can go out and touch stuff, but that's not going to bring somebody lasting. That's not going to do anything for the soul. It's not going to, I mean, we're as humans, we're not able to overcome that. And this side of the coin, it, it often looks like a very tame sheep. And it's, again, Jesus doesn't warn us about the wolves. He warns us about the wolves in sheep clothing because that's, you know, not obvious. It often looks soft and polite. And this is the notion that Jesus came for no other reason than to just be with you and to look like you. And the problem with this lie is that it confesses that the most important thing is sort of the medium. Like the most important thing when you're making a painting is having canvas and some oil paints as opposed to the, the art that is actually involved in making those do something meaningful. It confuses the primary expression with the medium. It focuses on just the materials there in the medium and it goes no further. It loves brokenness rather than loving people to the point that it pulls them out of that brokenness. It wants to reconcile them and heal them from the state of brokenness. So, Pastor Amanda, real quick on this. On this side of the coin, when we're here on the, the mirror side, um, what then becomes the point of humanity? Well, I think the point of humanity just becomes to just, I don't know, inhale, exhale, just kind of go throughout life with any kind of aspiration for anything better or stronger. Um, as you were talking, it was reminded me of, of um, my great-grandfather had a city mission where he dealt with very broken and hurt people uh, in Camden, New Jersey, and my grandfather after him uh, took on this mission. And there were many people who did some very terrible things, but they had kind of this religiosity, this idea of Christianity. And they said, well, you know, Christ commands us to give to the poor. So I'm going to give to this this missionary, to, to my great-grandfather. And, you know, I'm going to give him some money, and he's going to do good stuff with the poor. He's going to touch the untouchable. And then I, you know, I'm okay now. I don't have to actually change my life. I don't have to actually be a good person. I don't have to really do anything because I've touched the untouchable. And so, that, like, I think what we're saying here in this is if we reduce the gospel to merely just this, we have denied ourselves the beauty of how much Christ came to change and transform us that we don't simply have to just one little part of our life get changed, but our whole life and therefore life everlasting it may, is available to us. Yeah. Um, Pastor Mike, this side, it seems like it's shallow, but is there anything deeper to what we learn from this side of the coin, just the, the mirror? I mean, we, we think of this, yeah. we think of vanity. Um, is there anything deeper to this? Well, it's a whole lot that's deeper. And, of course, Jesus, you know, he touched the untouchables. But, you know, and not only did they, they re receive, you know, physical uh, healing, but there's a spiritual healing. There's a transformation. And so if if, if this side of the coin that, that shows the mirror and the transformation is going the wrong way, in other words, you're trying to manipulate God, and that's nothing less than idolatry. And we've seen all the way throughout Scripture that, that – idolatry is is uh well you know it's it's manipulating god so the deep side to that is idolatry absolutely yeah okay um let's get to this other side real quick and we've already talked about this one mostly because this is the side that arius is on and this is the idea of a waterfall and by that we're kind of thinking you've got a source you've got god the the father sitting up there and then further down stream further down the water you've got jesus you know it's less it's not there at the the mouth, it's down somewhere in the middle. And then down below the waterfall, you've got the pool and you've got people. And inside there that, well, Jesus, he's less than God the Father. He's not, you know, at all instrumental up there. He's not even a, a component of the Godhead. Um, and it does get to be a, a place where it is quite sad when people buy into this. This is the idea that focuses on Jesus. So it's not like the mirror that focuses on the well, people like myself and others, but this focuses on Jesus. It actually does spend some time there, but it holds that Jesus is less than God the Father. So he's not up at the top, but he's downstream. Now, this notion, it tries to explain that there is explanation to be had to start with. It, it takes something that is unexplainable and tries to give some technical explanation, some technical justification, which is just false. Arius is on this side of the coin. Uh, St. Patrick does a good job addressing this. Um, St. Patrick has a statement regarding this whole issue that says, Jesus was begotten by the Father sometime before time began in an inexplicable way. He was begotten by the Father before time began in an inexplicable way. And that's really about as good of an answer you can give to this, meaning that Jesus is infinite. He is eternal. He is always with the Father, just as the, the Word of God says, and just as the Word of God has revealed, and just as the truth of the Word of God um, actually exists. So it's important to understand that there are two natures, and that's the two sides we get of this coin. One that's very 
just only looks at people and doesn't really spend a lot of time contemplating God, and the other side that does look up to Jesus but doesn't think Jesus is is really God. So let's get to our interesting piece from history. And Pastor Amanda gave a little bit of a tease of this at the beginning of the program, and it is one that comes to be instrumental. And all right, I'll show this a little bit. And for those who are listening to the online only or the audio only, it is a crucifix or it appears to be a crucifix. And I've got to say, looking at it, it is something which kind of scares me a little bit. It is quite terrifying. It is. And crucifixes in general, it as Protestants, we have taken Jesus off the cross largely and just had crosses without the, the Christ crucified on them. Um, but when you hang this in your living room, it does convict you just to be sitting there. Um, but this actually is something quite fascinating. You open it up and it is a hospital sick kit designed for ministers to go into the hospital. And it's if you look down in here, uh, Anthony will have to give me some guidance if we can see this on camera. Um, it's got holy water in it, and it's got two candles with it. Now, this is meant for you to baptize people with sprinkling. But can anybody guess what the two candles are for? Uh, absolutely. They're the two natures of Christ, fully God, fully human. All right. Why is it that the two candles would be even connected with baptism? Why are the two natures relevant even to, to baptism, That a situation where you would be taking this to someone? Well, if we share in our life with God, uh, Christ has shared his life with us. If we die to sins, uh, die to our sins, just as Christ uh, was crucified and, and sins were placed upon him, we are raised to new life with Christ. And so when we physically die, there is the hope of the resurrection. And so this is extremely important to, um, to all Christians. Yeah, because without... Christ being fully God, when you reduce this down, what, whatever game you play with this, whatever side of the coin are, if you deny the truth that Jesus is fully God, fully man, that that's his nature, what you find is, is salvation no longer exists. Like that is something mm -hmm. which is eminently important when somebody is there to be baptized. And hence, why whenever this was, was fashioned, again, it is a, a handmade, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful item. Um, if we were on antique, Roadshow or whatever it is, <laughs> antique rodeo. I don't know. Whatever is on public television, maybe they could tell us what something I think like it's this is, is is worth. But this is definitely quite old. Um, I've got another one of these which is kind of similar that has a uh, patent mark on it from the 1890s. This one's probably from sometime around there. But I tried to Google the patent number that's on this one, yeah, but it couldn't give us an answer. It's it's quite an interesting old piece, and it reminds us that when we do come to receive the elements, whether we're there participating in the Eucharist or we are being baptized, we are to be reminded that God did something phenomenal beyond what we could comprehend in coming to take full human form. Yeah, I think it's important to, uh, to uh, clarify that also when we go to the Lord's table, the table also has two candles, which state, you know, this is two natures of Christ, fully God, fully human, yeah. and that we receive that in the elements. Yeah. Well, with that said, let's go back to our skunk, Stanley Stankup, and have our final thoughts with him, and then we'll wrap up our program. with Stanley Stank Up, and we're here to discuss this new idea. Wasn't it a great idea? Don't you feel relieved? Aren't you glad that Jesus came to be exactly like you and for no other reason? Stanley, please repent of this crazy idea. Jesus' nature is fully God and fully man. Well, didn't I say that? I mean, did I say something different than what you just said? The notion that Jesus only came to be exactly like you ends up teaching that Jesus is not fully God. And then we are left in a bad place where there is no hope for salvation. So this idea was bad too, huh? Yes, Stanley. Oh, uh, okay. Well, um, we'll have to find a different idea for next week. Huh, well, we'll try again, but I'm not very hopeful. Huh. <sighs> Now that 
we have given Stanley Stank up our final thoughts with him today. Let's have our final thoughts together here in the studio. The one piece of advice I would like to give is don't buy into this lie. And the, one of the easiest ways to do this is first to have that firm foundation based in our, our traditions that we've been had, based with what God has revealed to us and based here in the church. But also don't be arrogant. One of the reasons that people buy into a lot of these lies, a lot of these heresies, is because they're arrogant to the point where they think, I know better than what has been revealed to humanity over thousands of years. I know better than what God has revealed through his own words. Like we look to the New Testament, and there are a lot of titles given to Jesus, um, given directly. And then we feel like that's not enough. We've got to add some others. We've got to change the nature. And that's a really arrogant thing to do. Um, but again, I trust that most of us out here aren't listening to this because we're, we're, we're doing this, but we are wanting to learn. We're wanting to be fortified. We want to make sure that these deadly lies, we're aware of them so that we can defeat them whenever they crop up. So any other final thoughts before we close in prayer? Anything? Um, I think I'd have like, I've got three things segmented here. Um, the first one is this idea, um, fetus, corn, intellectum, faith, seeking, understanding, Arius has understanding that is seeking faith. He has this understanding and he's like, man, how on earth can I believe in God with this understanding? And he's trying really, really hard to do that. And that's why, that's why he ends up in the heresy that he ends up in is because he starts on, with his understanding. Had he started with his faith, he would have went the route that a lot of Cappadocian fathers, that the Nicene Council went, where they started with the faith that the three were one and worked out rationally how that might be possible and how they could have the same substance in three persons, which is the conclusion that they came to. Um, the second thing that I would say is to do some research into things like how the early church addressed these issues, like the Nicene Creed and the Cappadocian Fathers. They did an excellent job. And then I'm not going to lie, uh, for the sake of time, I might leave the third one out. <laughs> okay. Well, Pastor Mike? Well, I think, you know, the, the tremendous danger of trying to make God just or make Jesus fully human and not fully God it it diminishes transformation into the image of God and so uh, from the very beginning when God created humanity he created created us in the image and so the ancient uh, civilizations they had uh, kings or whatever that say state that you know this is my territory they would uh, erect a, a statue or an image that says this is my my um, my territory God is king of all creation and in Christ Jesus he is the image of God both human nature and the God nature but we are to be transformed into Christ likeness as that living walking breathing statue image of God that proclaims that this is God's creation and he is king so with when you diminish that you diminish the transformation that that we are called to be as well as the kingship of Jesus yes and thank you for joining us um, you can donate monetarily at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos and pastor Amanda would you close us in prayer today let us pray God of all good things God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be with your people. May the words that have been spoken today be more than words, but may we hear them and know them, and may they uh, be a means of grace to us. Transform us more into your likeness, that we may be a means of grace to the world around us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.